Welcome to Science and Non-Duality. What is non-duality? The universal forces. It's the collective conscious. Being aware. Trauma is not the external event that happens. Trauma is the impact of that event, which is the disconnection from ourselves. That matter is energy. Energy is matter. That's what EMC squared is about. There's a language without nouns. There is a language without subjugation. There's a language without objectifying. But if it's recorded, then we there is a collapse. But if it's not, then it's the infinite potentiality. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever in, wherever in the world you are. In this case, it's definitely working for everybody since we are in two very distant from one another. It's a joy to have you here. My name is Maurizio Benazzo. My name is Aya Benazzo, and we want to welcome you all to this community conversation with two very special guests, uh, our friends and Aboriginal elders, Uncle Paul Borden, and Uncle Paul Culligan. And today we want to discuss, they will, they will share some wisdom from their new book on the Dreaming Path. We had the privilege to meet uh, both uncles this winter, this winter when we were filming in so-called Australia for our next documentary. So welcome everyone and when, welcome Uncle Paul Gordon. Yeah, I want to introduce, the, read a little bio just to, to make it I think, a bit formal. Yeah. So let me start with Paul Callaghan. He's an Aboriginal man belonging to the land of the Warimi people, located on the coast of New South Wales, just north of Newcastle. For many years, he has held senior executive position in Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal related service area. Paul is a speaker, a storyteller, a dancer, and an author. Paul's passion are driven by his belief in the power of story to create a better world. Actually, as, as I'm about to read your uh, bio, Uncle Paul Gordon, would you rather present yourself? <laughs> uh, instead of um, pronouncing your land and your, your, your people. <laughs> Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, yeah, Paul Gordon. I'm Nyampa, Barkindji, and Murawari Aboriginal descent, which is the three big tribal areas of western and northwestern New South Wales. And I my, myself have worked my, all my life for Aboriginal organisations throughout New South Wales. And my gift, I guess, to the world and to and to myself is what I received from my elders through our law and culture and ceremony. And I love it and I love to share it and pass it on because it, it, it's a beautiful connection of unity with one another. Can I just add to that? <clears throat> because Uncle Paul is my elder and he's not my blood uncle. I call him my uncle out of respect. So I'll be sharing some things that I might go, well, everyone will know that, but you might not. So Uncle Paul and I met probably 23 years ago, roughly. And in terms of my background, background in Western qualifications, I've got a diploma of surveying, a diploma of drafting. I've got a Bachelor of Commerce. I've got a Certificate for in training. I've got postgrad qualities in executive leadership, executive coaching, emotional intelligence, governance, and I've also got a PhD. But to set the scene, the learning I've got from Uncle Paul has been far more profound than all of that learning in the Western world pulled together in one year, let alone 23 years. So I look up to him, he's my role model, and it's such a privilege to be able to, to share a book, to share his wisdom, and it's such a privilege to share this with you today because his knowledge is phenomenal and comes from a place of love. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, Thank you. Yeah, to, for giving a context to your relationship that's important to know as well. And maybe we can just begin. Um, there is a lot of misunderstanding in the West we have about the dream time, the dream, the, what do you mean to be on the dreaming path? The, it's a beautiful title, but I fear we often misunderstand what actually Aboriginal people meant by dreaming time, dreaming path. I'll hand to you, huh? Very good. 
and thanks for your kind words, my dear brother. We have the dream time, which is basically a time of creation of when things came to be. And then we have the dreaming, which is the journey from that creation time through to now. So there's lots of stories travelling from the time of creation through to now. So these are just the journeys of our ancestors, of ourselves. In our language, we call it um, the Ngurumpa. The Ngurumpa means my place and my relationship with all things in my place. And, and it teaches us how to live how to, and how to follow the law. And it actually t teaches us that we're all one. We're one with everything. We're one with one another. We're one with trees. We're one with plants, all sorts of plants and animals and birds and fish. We're one with all things. And that's what the dreaming teaches us. And so adding to that, the title of our book, The Dreaming Path, is about challenging everyone in this world to think about that journey and are they walking their journey because in our way we are one and we're born for a purpose. But as we grow and we are forced into a school system where externalities are starting to tell us what success looks like, and then well-meaning family and then society and then media starts to tell us what a good life is, we are diverted from the dreaming path, which is our journey, and we start to get clouded in terms of, of economic prosperity, materiality, consumerism, and we start to lose track of who we are and walk our footsteps. Hence, the dreaming path is our personal journey, and it's really important to listen to the wisdom that Uncle Paul shares to remind ourselves of the intuitive wisdom that's within us and connect with our inner self to go, who am I, what is my journey, and how do I make sure I'm on that path rather than diverted continuously? Beautiful. And asking the question, who am I, like in a bridge, you know, and again, I please correct us and help us understand there, there are many Aboriginal tribes and nations and spiritualities and so I want to be also careful not to group everything under Aboriginal wisdom so help us understand a little bit more but let's say in your specific cultures uh, how do you understand identity what is identity Aboriginal people let's have a, yeah let's have a look at how many different groups there are in Aboriginal Australia. So we have over 500 language groups. So when I say Nyampa, that means my word world, the world of, of Nyampa, that besides my clan, other people also speak it. And then we have two dialects, Wailwan and Mongaipon, of that language called Nyampa. And then inside them two dialects, we have people who actually belong to country. So when you think about 500 different language groups, at least 2,500 different dialects of them languages, and probably more than 10,000 different groups who sit inside country and are responsible for looking after it. Yet, for more than 100,000 years, we've lived on, lived on this continent together we never built one castle, we never built one fort, we never built one fence, we never built any armies to go out and try and conquer one another. What we done was we sat down together and we built relationships. So even though we are different, we can sit down together and, and respect each other's differences and see each other's similarities and we're able to say, yeah, we're, we're a little bit different, but same. And when you, when you think about that, it's a really important lesson for the world to be able to let's sit down together and build a relationship with one another and respect each other's differences and connect through each other's similarities. And if we can do that as a world, we will have a beautiful place. 
just like our countries were um, in Aboriginal Australia for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So our identity is to be able to say we're one with our country and we're the same as a tree, as a rock. Like all the all my old elders, when they first met me, they would say, you know what, my son, me and you, we're the same. We're the same as tree, we're the same as rock, we're the same as kangaroo, we're the same as emu, we're all same. We come from the land, we go back to the land the same as everything else does. So we see each other that way. And we come back over and over again from that country to be born again over and over again. Sometimes as a kangaroo, sometimes as an emu, sometimes as a tree, sometimes as a bird, sometimes as a fish. So we say, I remember when I was a fish. I remember when I was a kangaroo. I remember when I was a tree. So therefore I can still connect with them and talk to them because I have their memory in me. So it's a big story of connection with one another and with all things. And, and the way I describe that in some of the things I do, because Uncle Paul and I, we have different aspects of what we talk about and then we obviously overlap. But the connotation I use for, for Western thinking is in the Western world we talk about diversity and most of the time we celebrate it. Sometimes we don't. It creates tension. But diversity is something to be cherished. But in my learning from Uncle Paul, my phrase is diversity is only powerful if underpinned by a platform of unity. So we can have all the diversity in the world, but it's useless unless something connects us in unity. And in our way, it's the Nurumpa, and that is right across all those 500 nations, we all had story and song and dance and artwork that told the story about we care for our place and all things in our place. That's our responsibility. And you think about the world. If the entire world focused on a platform of we must always care for our place and all things in our place, then the world would be a far different place than it is now because that is what builds all the diversity. All the diversity sits on that. And so then the diversity becomes really powerful because in traditional times when we went to another place and saw a different dance, we'd go, wow, how great is that? And I've been shown that and it's a gift that's been given to me. And that diversity is so special because I know that I don't have to be threatened because even though that's different, we're still one. And that's the really big story about creating the oneness right across the world because we are this one entity. We are this one planet. Maybe before we, there's something I would like to discuss further, but maybe we can speak about the Aboriginal lore because many of us don't know what that is and what you refer when you speak of lore. Um, yeah, if you can speak to that. Yeah. So law, L-O-R-E, is about story. So from a very early age, in traditional times when a child was born, from the day they were born, they were carried by their mother in a gulay bag, what we call a gulay bag, which was around their back. So when that mother and the grandmothers and aunties all went out gathering food together, that child was always with them. So from, a, from, the, from day one, they're learning about their country and their place. They're learning about the medicines. They're learning about the foods. They're learning about their responsibility to that country. And by the age of 10, an Aboriginal child was quite capable of looking after themselves. Their, their, their knowledge that they would learn over that 10-year, 10, 10 to 12-year period by doing it every day with their with their grandmothers and mothers, they knew where to go when they when they had a headache. They knew where the headache tree was. They knew where the bellyache tree was. They knew where any medicine was because their mothers and grandmothers taught them. They knew about how to gather food, how to grind up seed to make flour. They did, did all that in the first 10 to 12 years of their life. And around puberty, we would then take the boys and they would go through ceremony and the girls would stay with the grandmothers and mothers and they would go through their ceremonies. And our ceremonies taught us about our spiritual responsibility to our country. 
and to our stories and to each other. Besides our physical, and it also separated the boys from the girls so that at puberty you never had young people coming together and having sex and and creating babies. So by taking the removing the boys from the tribe and taking them out the bush and putting them on a journey of ceremony, um, which would last for five or six years, and when they came back they were then ready to be married off. But over them six years they learnt their full responsibility for their place. And that's what ceremony is all about. Um, to put it, like, I mean, the secret, sacred, a lot of our ceremony, but it's about being born back into country, um, being given the responsibility to look after country and all things in the country, to understand our responsibility to our totemic um, animal or tree or plant relationships with one another. And you learn all that. And then when you come back, um, you have to live that life of responsibility. So that's what law is to us. So from L-O-R-E law, which is story, we get L-A-W law, um, which then says, right, if you break the laws that you've been taught, there is a L-A-W law which will punish you. So we're given rules that we have to follow, otherwise there is punishment. But because you're taught the, the law in love and fully understanding, you don't want to break the law because you want to carry out your responsibility. Just tapping into that, a thought came to me about tapping into law and, and Nurunpur and, and diversity. When Paul and I share in podcasts in our book, we always provide that big overview, so the big picture. But it's really important in Australia, but also across the world, that then with that big overview of unity, people explore local story with local people and local community and local country to find out what the stories are for, for that area. So quite often what we talk about is we aren't here to give answers because we can't speak on behalf of anyone other than what we've been given. We're here to open up minds to give people ideas on how they can go and seek local answers and then fit that within this broader context of caring for our place and all things in our place. So local story is really important as well. It's not about listening to us today and say, I've got it all figured out. It's about saying, wow, I've been given this new way of seeing the world. So exciting. Now I can go and connect with local country, talk to local elders and find out what their stories are as well. And then we create this beautiful mosaic of connectivity. Beautiful. And, and you write in your book, our stories aren't myths or legends or fables. They aren't about dreams either. So often in the West, when we hear a story, we think, yeah, it's, you know, it's not real. Or, uh, But you have a very different meaning of story and storytelling. And you also speak in your book how the story actually lives in the land. So connecting to what you're saying, Uncle Paul uh, Caligan, that the story is wherever we are. We just need to listen. Anything? Yes, yeah. yeah, so and we've got a we've got a pretty good time to to share yarns today, Uncle Paul. Why don't you tell them the story you always tell when we do the workshops together about Thicky Billa? Thicky Billa. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, tell a, I'll tell what they call a dream time story, um, what I call a Nurumpa story. And the word dream time is an English word, and it, it came from an anthropologist who actually was sitting down with, ab with all Aboriginal elders and he was trying to, he was asking them about creation time. And they started to tell him the story of the journey of these animal ancestors and to him, it felt like they were in a dream state while they were telling him. So he called it. That's where the name Dream Time come from in the first place.
So this is a story about Tikibilla. Tikibilla was a little furry creature. And there was this old man who loved to, to eat Tikibilla. And this old grand, grandfather said to his two grandsons, come on you two boys, you have to come hunting for Tikibilla with me because I'm your grandfather and you have to do what your grandfather tells you. I said, Grandfather, we know our obligation to you and our responsibility, but we don't like going with you because you're greedy and you don't share with us. And he got angry with them and said, Ah, don't you boys tell me the law. I know the law. You just do what you're told. So off they went hunting. Now when them two boys were walking, this old man said, Ah, I'm too tired. I have to sit down here in the country because he was a very fat, lazy man. And he sat down in the country and he said, you two boys keep walking and find the thicky billa and bring it back here to me. So off they went, found the thicky billa and they brought it back to this old man. He said, now leave him here and go and get some wood so we can cook it. Uh, off them boys went and they brought some wood back. Here, grandfather, is that wood for the thicky billa? Ah, that's not enough wood. Leave that wood here and go and get more wood. Soon as them boys was out of sight, he lit the fire and cooked that thicky biller up and he ate it. When them boys came back with the extra wood, they said, Grandfather, where's that wood? Ah, you took too long. I burnt that wood and ate that thicky biller. Now leave that wood here and go and find me another thicky billa. So they left that wood and off they went to find another thicky billa. While they was away, he burnt that wood. He, he hid that wood behind his back. And when they came back with another thicky billa, they said, Grandfather, where's all that wood we left here? Ah, I burnt that wood. I was cold. Leave that thicky billa here and go and find some more wood. As soon as I was out of sight, he got the wood out from behind his back, lit the fire up again and cooked it. Thicky Biller and he ate it. And he kept doing this over and over and over, getting them boys to bring him Thicky Biller, hiding the wood from him until I was out of sight and then cooking it and eating it again. And he just got fatter and fatter and fatter sitting in the landscape. And my old granny used to say, he ate that many Thicky Biller, he started to look like one. Now, luckily... Back in that time of the Warumpa, or the dream time, creation time, the Bapala people, which is a little black and white butterfly, they flew by, and they were magic people, and they flew past. And they seen that old man breaking the law, eating all the thickabilla from one place, and not sharing with his grandsons. And they said, that old man is breaking the law, we have to punish him. So they went back to a little tree called a warrior, W-A-R-R-I-A, not a warrior with a spear, but warrior in my language means a little current bush. And they belonged to that little current bush. That was their ngura or their camp or their home, what we call ngura. They went back to that ngura and they got them sticks off that little current bush and they made little spears and they came back to that old man and said, old man, you broke the law. You've eaten all the thicky billa from this country. There's hardly any left. You've eaten that many thicky billa, you look like one. And because you broke the law, we're going to turn you into one and we're going to spear you. And they turned him into a thicky billa and then they speared him with thousands of spears. And that's how that little echidna came to be in our stories. That little fellow with all the spikes all over him that looks like a porcupine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's how we came to be in one of our stories. Now, then butterfly people said to them two boys, you two boys must be hungry, eh? That old man never shared no food with you. They said, oh, we're very hungry. They said, well, come back to our ngura. Come back to the warrior bush, and there's heaps of fruit on that bush, and you boys and girls can come here as many times as you want and eat the fruit from this bush because the butterfly people want to share it with you. But because of that old man... And his crime and and his greed, no adult can eat the fruit of the warrior bush again. 
and that's still law in my country. So as I grew up as a child, I ate the sweet fruits of the warrior bush and I shared it with the butterfly people. And I learned to love the butterfly people because they gave to me. But as a man now, I can't, when I see that beautiful fruit full, I can't touch it. Mm. I have to respect that law. So from the story, we learn our responsibility to our country and our relationship to our country and who can do what in our country and what happens to people who break the law. So from that one little story, you learn all this truth and all this knowledge. So story is not like a dream or a myth. The story is actually knowledge. And growing up in the bush as a child, learning this from my old people, learning about the country, when I was about 13, 14, I said to my dad one time, you know, Dad, I really love my country. He said, why is that, mate? And I said, because my country gives us everything we need. We don't need shops. We don't need supermarkets. Our country gives us our food, our water, our shelter. We just have to learn how to gather it. And I said, I really love this place. So from the stories, we get knowledge, and from the knowledge, we develop love and passion for our place. And when I think about that, Aboriginal knowledge compared to Western knowledge, and I talk to a lot of university professors about it, is that our Western knowledge binds us to a system and enslaves us to work in it for 70 years in the hope that one day we'll be rich and can retire. But Aboriginal knowledge frees you because it allows you to just exist in country and belong to country. And that's a really important message that around the world in all these beautiful places, there is natural medicines, natural foods, and all you have to do is seek the knowledge and connect to it and respect it and love it, and it'll look after you. And then that, in turn, gives you the responsibility to look after it. And that is very freeing because in traditional ways of life in my country, which is saltwater country, east coast of Australia, our people did what you would define as work, that is things I need to do to live and survive, about half an hour a day. That's it. Work was done. And then what do you do for the rest of the day? You sit and you share story, you create knowledge, you visit, you socialise, you network, you build relationships because in our culture, our definition of success is the richness of our relationships with each other, with ourself and with country. In the Western world, it's materiality and what can I accrue and how much power can I get? So our people used to sit around and yarn and do exactly what everybody else wants to do when they retire. Our people did that every day. So when the colonisers came and saw our people sitting around, they went, oh, look at those lazy blacks. And that's where the myth of the lazy black comes from. It was because they didn't understand our story. And this is a big message for the world. We need to spend time listening to each other's stories. We don't do it. Uncle Paul and I, many years ago now, were sitting in a, in a part of Sydney, just sitting there about to go into a, a meeting where we were going to present on, on culture. And we're in a food court and I noticed everyone around me looked like they were grey. And I said, oh, look, everyone's grey. They're just grey. They've got no spark in them. They've got no colour, no, no spark in their eyes. They don't walk with any energy. And that's where we realise people aren't living good stories. They're not living good stories at all because they're, they're caught up with this system that jails them for 70 years. They're not free at all. And so this taps into the Aboriginal way of thinking in terms of story, live a good story. And the old people say, when we leave this world behind, all we leave behind is our story, so make it the best story possible. For everyone out there listening to us today, please think about that. You're special. You're here for a reason. Uncle Paul's taught me we everything is not just people. Everything is conceived in love, born in love, lives in love and goes back to love. So embrace the love and walk in colour. Embrace your story. And a lot of people aren't living the best story possible. I see a lot of people that are absolutely caught up in endurance rather than resilience. It's like a marathon. Every day it's like I've got to get through this one and another one and another one and when I'm 70 then I can finally get off this treadmill of busyness 
you've got to say, why? Why do you need to rush around? People are rushing everywhere, but what are they actually achieving? What are they leaving behind? What are they passing on in terms of a legacy? The, I'm writing a book on, me and Uncle Paul are writing a book on leadership at the moment. And the Western term of leadership is to achieve outcomes with finite resources in a time frame, very, very narrow. What I've come up with in terms of an Aboriginal definition based on my experiences with elders is our definition of leadership is my responsibility to care for my place and all things in my place for my children's 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 children. What is my legacy? What am I leaving for the children that are coming that I won't even see? Our people always thought about that. And you think about this world at this moment in time, what are we leaving for four generations? It's not a very good story at all. And so the other definition of leadership I share, and we're all leaders and people listening here today, I want to, I want to inspire you to think about leadership. A leader creates great stories around them. If you aren't creating great stories around you, you're not leading. And so the leaders of corporations, the leaders of teams, the leaders of families, the leaders of communities need to think about what stories am I creating? The Buffalo people came in and said, we've got to turn this story around here. It's not right. We need to speak up. And they did. We need action across the world for people to speak up and say, how do we create the great stories? Because governments won't. Yes, The, the story in the world is living today, not to oversimplify, but the reality is here. We're facing it all, the wars, the, the climate collapse we're experiencing. And one thing I keep hearing from you is the importance of relationships, how um, yeah. we educate our children, we take them to school, but there is no relationship there. So the knowledge they receive is hollow in a way, is not based to, is not related to, to the experience, nor to the land, nor to the... And, and yeah. that's the sad part about, that's the sad part about our, our Western education system. Our Western education system teaches our kids skills so that they can get a job, so that they can, they can become a part of society and work so we actually give them the skills that they need to be slaves in a system and then we encourage them to buy houses and to buy a car and to try and build wealth. Where, you know, and that's a very different system to the Aboriginal system. The Aboriginal system was from the day I was born, I was born in the country. I was a part of the country. I never had to get a job to get some money to go to a bank to get a mortgage. From the day I was born, I was born in the country. I had a home from the day I was born. And when you think about, about the Western system, it it doesn't connect us to our country or to our environment. So when, when I actually say to the people from Sydney and Newcastle, like the big cities on the east coast of Australia, you know, what will you do when someone drops a bomb on Sydney? I go, oh, we'll go bush. I go, what will you do when you get to the bush? You know nothing about it. You'll die in the bush just like the pioneers did, just like the first Europeans who came into our country. You'll die like them because you still have no knowledge. Even though you've been living in Australia for 240 years now, you still know nothing about Australia. You still know, you know, we have thousands of different plants, yet the best most Australians can name is a gum tree and a wattle tree. So there's probably more than a thousand different gum trees. There's over 600 different wattle trees. That's just two, two species of tree that I'm talking about. Yet there's thousands of species of trees that most Australians know nothing about. When I ask them, name some inland rivers in Australia, they, they, they can only name two when there's about 50 different rivers, but they're completely disconnected from their country 
And the Western education system doesn't teach them about their country, their place, their story, their responsibility. It talks to them about go out there, be greedy, take what you can, um, build wealth, don't share, which is completely the wrong way of living our life. We should be taught about the environment, our responsibility to the environment, and how we give back to the environment because we're not separate from the environment. We rely on the environment every day to exist. We're completely right in the middle of the environment, yet we think the environment is over there somewhere and we're over here somewhere, which is really weird. You know, we're a part of it. We need it. We can't exist without it. So let's start to care for it and look after it and love it the way we should. So tapping into that, I'll raise it because it may be in some people's minds across the world in terms of recent events in Australia. There was a referendum a weekend a week ago. And the referendum, in essence, was it was the result of, of decades of, of conversations and requests from Aboriginal people. So it's not a recent thing. But it was pulled together in terms of a statement called the Uluru Statement. And the Uluru Statement, even though it wasn't reflective of every single Aboriginal person in Australia, it, it was still pretty good in terms of what it said. And it had a lot of people contributing. And it basically said that Aboriginal people would like to be recognised in the Constitution as having been here, and also in terms of all the socioeconomic disadvantage that we face because of the impacts of colonialism, we would like to have an advisory group called The Voice that would talk to government about policies affecting Aboriginal people to make sure we get them better and right. Simple as that. And the proposition was put forward and it was voted down. And speaking personally, the next day I was broken but then once I thought it through, I thought, of course, it was going to be voted no because Australia is a very racist place and all it's done is reveal what I and others have already felt and that is Aboriginal people aren't accepted in this country. Our law isn't accepted. The beautiful gift of sharing our knowledge and values and how people can connect to country, that was offered and it's now been rejected. And so then I thought about that and I thought, why, why did 60% of Australia reject it? And I unpacked it and I, then I thought about the world and this is where it's tapping into what Uncle Paul was saying. And so I'm turning this into a positive construct to challenge you all. What I see on social media particularly is this kind of, these communities of outrage where people across the world are outraged and they yell and they scream and there's, and nastiness has become the norm. People are saying incredibly nasty things. The day after the referendum, my wife, who's non-Aboriginal, was in tears because there was a comment there saying all mixed blood, half-caste Aboriginal people should be killed at birth. People are saying that in open forums. And so I put a post out to challenge people saying, well, I'm, I'm mixed blood, so are my children and my grandchildren, so you're wanting us dead. And I said, my mother passed away seven weeks ago. Does that make you happy? Because that's a problem gone for you. And so these are the things that are affecting us. But when I thought about that with this outrage, in terms of the vote, it was a lot of poor people that voted against us. The educated and the people who had privilege all voted yes. It was the poor people, and I thought, why are they doing that? And then I started looking at the feedback, and I saw one person interviewed, and he said, he said, I've got cost of living pressures. I don't need this rubbish. So we were seen as rubbish. And so it's really sad that this country has the longest living culture and this beauty to share. And people don't want to become part of it because if they do, they become part of country too. And then I thought about that and I thought, okay, so these people are saying it's not fair because there's a myth that Aboriginal people get free cars, free houses, free money, free everything, and we don't. 90% of Aboriginal people are in the bottom 10% of income earners in this country. So I thought, okay, what I'm, what I'm listening to now are people that are thinking they're missing out. And so this taps into Uncle Paul's story about greed and what we've become in many instances across the world is a take society. What can I get out of the country? What can I get out of the system? What's in it for me? Whereas if you look at the Aboriginal world, we're one of sharing. You get with any mob, and it always has been, whatever I've got, I'll share it. And so this is a challenge for the world. How do we turn the me, me, take, including taking from the planet, how do we turn that around and say, no, no, I'm going to stop that take. 
I'm going to start sharing. And part of that is you, you think about housing. Traditionally, our houses were open so we could see each other in the yarn. And if you wanted something, you didn't have to go and steal it. Someone would give it to you. But what are our houses now? They're our little mini castles. We go and we lock the door. We lock the windows. We have bars. We say, keep away from me, world. I don't want you coming near me. I've had enough in the workplace of people around you annoying me. So we have a complete lack of connectivity. So instead of disconnecting and hiding, we should be going out and connecting, but communities aren't connected like they used to be. We don't share like we used to be. Once upon a time, if someone was had a child, everyone would go and take food around for that mother and look after that mother and say, we're here all for you. When someone was sick, someone would go and care for that person. We look after each other. Now there are people that, that pass away and sit in their units and aren't even discovered until the mail starts building. So we need to shift this paradigm and start taking an interest in other people's stories. And if you think of someone's stories in terms of a written narrative, every one of those lines, where do we all fit into that so we can all create this richness of character? Well. Heartbreaking. I, I don't know what to say. The the the, the referendum last last week in Australia. And, uh, Uncle Paul Gordon, is there anything you want to add to this? I am curious what your way of looking at this is. Well, what what the referendum? I I, I always said that it'll be a no referendum because I know how the majority of Australians think. And it goes back to um, another story of the Thikibilla, um, which you know when you're, we, which we tell when we're around to kids when they're around eleven or twelve, just on puberty. Um, I don't know where Mum left the money in your place or the loose change, but if you know when you're around that age, you walk past and you see that loose change, and then you have a bit of a look around to see where Mum is, and if you can't see, you actually take that money and put it in your pocket. You know, so you actually start to think about taking things that, without asking. And it's, it's sort of a thing at puberty because you might be going into high school and you're starting to think about a can of Coke or a pie or wanting to buy something with your friends. And so we have a story about that. And again, there's a story about the Thicky Bill, and he was furry like a kangaroo. And it, But he was the greedy one now. So every time he woke up every morning, he went looking for food and he would scratch the country and dig his nose in there and put his nose in there and doesn't matter how much food he found, he wanted more because he was greedy. And one day he woke up and he thought, I hope I find something really nice today. And he started walking the countries, eating, 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 and then all of a sudden, on a breeze, he smelt this beautiful smell of cooked meat. And he said, ah, oh, that's a kangaroo, cooked kangaroo. And he followed that smell and he came to a butt of a tree. And he looked up and in the fork of a tree was a fully cooked kangaroo that had been taken out of the ground oven because when we cook our meat, whether it's emu or kangaroo, we cook it full in the ground. And the people who owned it put it up there in the tree so that the dingoes wouldn't come and t steal it. Well, this Tiki Billa, he had a bit of a look around. He couldn't hear no one. He couldn't see no one. So he climbed that tree and he got it down and he started eating it. My old grandmother used to say he got stuck right into that meat. He was just tearing it apart, eating it as fast as he could. And while he was eating it, the people who owned it came back from the river. They were down there collecting yams and other vegetables to have with their meat. And they seen him. And he's seen them, but he said, oh, I'm too full, I can't run away. So he just stayed there and kept eating. 
And someone sung out, hey, look at that thicky biller. He stole our meat. He broke the law. He has to be punished. Spear him. And straight away he started telling lies. Hey, no, mate, I didn't steal your meat. No, I knew it was yours. I was walking by your fellow's camp and I seen your meat up there and I thought, I'll do them a favour. I'll get it down for them and I'll help them and I'll have it all ready for you when you got back. They said, not only are you a thief, you're a liar as well. Spear him. And they speared him, and he kept talking. So they kept spearing him. And he kept talking until all his back was covered in spears. And he was still talking. Hey, spear him in the head, that'll shut him up. They speared him in the head, but he, was, he still kept talking. He's, hey, he must be talking through his ass. Spear him in the ass, that'll shut him up. And they speared him in the ass, and he finally stopped talking. And my old grandmother used to say, see, son, just like the government. They came over here, they stole our land, and they've been talking through their ass ever since. So when you think about people who do the wrong thing and steal from other people, they never, ever own up to it. They then try to blame the people they stole from and say, you know, no, we never. Then they tell lies. No, we never. So when you look at the lies that still exist in this country and the guilt that this country still feels, they still want to put that back onto us because they don't want to own up to the truth. They don't want to build a relationship with us um, because they think they might actually have to give something back. But all we want to do is give to them and pass on our knowledge to them so that they love our place and look after our place the same way we have for thousands of years. We want them to connect with our country and take care of it for us because they're here. We want them to have our knowledge and, our, and have our love and passion for this place. That's why we want to keep sharing with the world. That's why we want. That's why we wrote the book because we want people to actually love this planet, love this universe because we're made up of all them things and we need to look after it together. Beautiful. So beautiful. And just to clarify with that, sometimes people, and again, this is my view, they listen to Indigenous peoples and they go, oh, yeah, but I'm an outsider, I can't be part of that. Well, what, I, what I've been taught is the law and, and the connection, it belongs to the land, not the people. As the people, we've been here for a long time and we've been given the privilege of sharing that learning, as Uncle Paul said, goes back to story. But once Uncle Paul shares that story with you, you become part of that land as well. And then we form a circle where we are all brothers and sisters. We are all one. And that's what it's about. It's not about this insularity and us marginalising. It's about saying, come here with me and sit with me and we're together. And the circle is really powerful because the circle doesn't have a start or end. The circle has no weak points and the circle, we can all see each other. So we trust each other and we're open and honest. And so that goes back to being truthful. So really what's so important is understanding story, and many in Australia don't understand the story. 30% of people that voted had no idea what they were voting about. So they didn't accept their responsibility of understanding and being informed. So the challenge is to share understanding, and this is why it's so important to talk to people like yourselves and then for you to talk to your people that you know and create this ripple effect of shared story and understanding because it's through understanding that we create education and learning. It's through learning we affect change for the better. And this isn't about winning a war. It's about creating a better future for our children's 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 children. And do we want to be known as the generation that really had the chance to fix it, but we made it worse? Or do we want to be known as the generation that finally got that we've made some mistakes here? The book on leadership that Paul and I am writing, I've got an accounting degree, so... I was talking about in this book on the weekend when I'm writing it about how back in the 80s, the main focal point of business was the was the the first bottom line, which is just profitability. Then from 2000 on, it turned into the triple bottom line, which was profitability plus environment plus social aspects. And so companies are going, yeah, I need to be a good corporate citizen. I need to be thinking about it. Now it's the quadruple bottom line. It's saying we need to have profitability, but we need to think about the environment, we need to think about social aspects, which is people, and we also need to think about culture. And I said to my wife, I've had an epiphany. The quadruple bottom line is the law. 
because the law says I need to care for my place and all things in my place. Duh. So companies at the leading edge of corporate strategic vision are actually now connecting with something that's 100,000 years old. And how wonderful is that? And so that's that's why we cast this net out. People go, oh, what, what can I learn from Aboriginal culture? You can learn everything. You can learn everything. I know because I was stuck in that assimilationist world and I had a nervous breakdown and nearly killed myself. And then I met Uncle Paul and I was given all these gifts and I said to him, wow, these things are good for everybody. And in the contemporary world, they're even more important than in the old world. Can we write a book? And he said, yeah, let's get a book out there and help the world. And so that's where we come from. And so we talk at a broader level about the world, but also the book itself, it builds over the chapters to build an ability for an individual to 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 identify their story, their dreaming path, and then they can create a self-care plan on how do I get myself on track. So I am well because the Aboriginal definition of well-being is totally different to the Western. Our definition says we can't be well if people around us aren't well and if country's not well. So I need everyone in my community to be well, Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal. So I need to care for everybody and they need to care for me and we all need to care for country. So imagine if the world adopted that that we all cared for each other and cared for country and that will enable us to be well, then we would have a place of well-being. And all the things we talk about, they're not alien kind of historical nuance where you go, well, that was interesting. These are stuff that you can live and breathe that are more important now than they have ever been. Well, yeah, I just thought I remember in Paul Gordon when we met you in, in country last February, you said something like what you just said before, and it completely blew my mind. You said, well, if you're here and you live here and you eat this food from this land, you breathe this air of this land, you are connected with all our brothers and sisters. They are your brothers and sisters as well. And gave me a feeling of belonging that I never had, even in my own country. In a way, the way you said it, well, this is, you know, I yeah, felt so home. It was like. And this is where that story of, of we're all one. We're all the same. We all come from the same place. We all go back to the same place. So when you think about where you live and the food, water you drink, where's your water come from? Your water comes from that place. So you're taking in the nutrients and all the other things that's in that water into your body. If you're a child and you're born and you're inside your mother's womb, she's eating from the country. She's eating and drinking from the country. So you're growing from the food from the country and from the water from the country. So you are a part of the country. So people who go, oh, you know, you know, we're descendants. I'm a, I'm a descendant from England or Wales or Ireland, but we've been here for five generations. I go, well, if you've been here for five generations, you belong to this land. Everything you're made up of has come from this country. You've been drinking, your ancestors and you have been drinking the water and eating the food produced on this land. So you're a part of this country, not from somewhere else. You're a part of this land. And when you connect the country that way and realize that, then you'll start to look after it and go, because when I pass away in our stories, I'll go back to the land and I'll become part of the land and my water will go back to the creek and then back to the river and then back to the sea and my water will be taken up and become cloud and my water will fall rain like rain and it'll fall on my body and grass will grow in me and I'll become grass and kangaroo will eat the grass and I'll become kangaroo and tree will grow in me and I'll become tree and fruit on the tree the bird will eat and I'll become bird and I'll do this over and over and over again so my, my old people say we've been here forever we've been coming and going from this place since time began So when I say I can talk to the kangaroo, it's because I remember when I was a kangaroo. I got, and I've got four little kangaroos just over here sitting next to me, which you can't see, and they're orphans that, that me and my partner rear and look after because their mothers have been killed by cars and, and 
So we're, we're carers, and it's wonderful to hold these little beautiful creatures in your arms and, and give them life and watch them grow up and communicate with them. Just to be able to connect, you know, to country and to all the things in the country, even to go and sit under a tree. Sit under a tree for an hour every day and listen. One day, you'll be really surprised. You'll start to hear that tree. Oh, we're gone. We, do, we, <laughs> we can hear you. Oh, we lost. We lost. Wow. He'll have, he'll have to come back in. But while he does, what was I thinking about? Oh, yeah, when I was talking about we, it's not all of society. There's a lot of people that get it. But with, with this outrage society and this society of nasty, if you think about what we've been saying, when as an individual we hurt someone, you think to what we're saying, we're actually hurting ourselves. We're hurting ourselves. And then we go, oh, I, I don't like that. I'm angry. I'll, have a, I'll hurt someone else. And so we're hurting ourselves every time we do it. So we're just building and building and building this hurt. And so this is where we need to turn it around. And and that goes back to the cornerstone values of Aboriginal culture right across Australia. And these are shared right across the world, I believe, spiritually. And so our four big values to live by are love, respect, humility, and always share. So in anything you do, think, Am I coming from a loving place? Come from a place of love, not a place of deficit and hatred. Come from a place of love. Am I being respectful? And part of this, by the way, is yourself. Am I loving me? I write a lot about respecting ourselves. A lot of us are really good at loving other people and respecting other people, but we don't look inwards because it gives us awkwardness and cringe because we're taught not to love ourselves. Look inside and go, I am going to respect me. I am going to love me. So love, respect. And then am I being humble? One of the really big problems in the Western world is that from school we're taught to compete. So there's this difference. I need to compete against my classmates and be the best. I need to play sport. I need to be the best. Then we go into high school. I've got to really be the best so I can get into uni. When I get into uni, I need to get the best grades so I can get a job. When we go for a job, what are we doing? We're battling and fighting each other because it's called a competitive selection process. I must fight you. Then we get into the workplace. We're fighting each other to become the boss. And then, because I used to lecture in economics, I understand the economic system and it's, it, it understands the, the enemy, really. It's called the competitive market. So worldwide, we're all stuck in an economy that's anchored to a thing called the competitive market. So the whole world is geared that I must fight you. I must fight every one of you. Now, that's crazy. That's crazy. You think about that, I must fight everybody. Why? Why can't I share there are 8.8 billion people in the world. There is enough there to share. Why can't we share? And when I say share, it's not just material things. We share knowledge in the original way. Uncle Paul talks about it all the time. He says, knowledge, if not shared, has no power. Share the knowledge. Don't worry about IP. Share it, and it'll come back somewhere. It'll come back and, and do good. So share everything. Share it. And so when we share, we care. And so that's the thing to say to ourselves. So in any part of life, I do a lot of mentoring with a lot of people and I'll unpack those four things. I'll say, let's look at love, let's look at respect, let's look at humility and share. And invariably one of them will be, yeah, yeah, I've got cranky and I'm isolating and, yeah, I, I need to turn that around. Because when we're not humble, it's ego. And we're taught to be egotistical. We're taught we needed an interview to show up and show off. And now with social media, you've got influencers. And what are they doing? They're going there saying, look at me, look at me. And so we've got young people saying, I'm not like them, so therefore I'm no good. And so it's really dangerous to have this comparison society where we're comparing ourselves to everybody. Because invariably it's going to end up like, okay, I'm not up to their level. Imagine if I tried to compare myself to Usain Bolt, every day would be miserable. But if I just go, no, I don't need to compare, I'm born perfect. If I know I'm born in love... I'm born perfect, so I don't need to worry about all of that. Wonderful. Thank you so much well, for you. being with well, us well. today and for your love and generosity. Good to see you all. Likewise. Yep. Stay strong and stay Bye -bye. connected. Bye. Brothers, thank Be you well so much. And till we meet again. And thank you for listening to The Sounds of Sand. We invite you to explore more of our talks, dialogues, videos, articles, events, 
and offerings through our website, scienceandnonduality.com. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please consider becoming a member to access our massive library of SAN content, available exclusively to SAN members. And we would love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify, and share this episode with your family, friends, and all sentient beings. Be well.